You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, before we, we launch into uh, our next Minor Prophet with Nahum, if you're new, we're kind of walking this summer through the Minor Prophets and uh, kind of strange guys in the Old Testament. And uh, it, it dawned on me, I read an article there uh, about a, a state park in uh, Arizona, I mean, uh, Arkansas, actually. And uh, it's called Diamond Crater State Park. Have any, anybody stayed there, been to that? A couple of you guys have. Did you find any diamonds? Did you look for diamonds? You did. How many hours did you look for diamonds? I'm curious. Wow. And came up with a big fat goose egg. Well, apparently this week, a guy found an over two carat diamond. It's a public state park, so you can go, and if you find anything, you can, you know, keep it, I guess. I guess you got to tell the people. I don't know what the rules are. You probably can't, you're probably not allowed to drive in an excavator or a backhoe. You know, I'm sure there's a limit to what, you know, that they're going to let you get away with, but you can go milling around. Apparently, a couple of weeks ago, they had a pretty bad storm that blew through there, and it kind of washed out part of the area, and this guy happened upon a two-carat diamond. Uh, Pretty cool, and he was allowed to, to keep that. And, it, and I kind of thought about that for a second. I thought, you know, that's kind of what my job is. During the week, I'm like that guy trying to dig for diamonds in God's word. And especially as we kind of walk through the Old Testament prophets, you know, some diamonds are a little bit deeper. They're kind of buried a little bit more in the rock. You kind of got to dig in after them a little bit. And then sometimes some of them are just laying right on the surface. And apparently this was one of those kinds of things. Well, the, the book that we're looking at today, Nahum, has got some diamonds just kind of laying right on the surface for us this morning. So I'm going to share with you about four or five diamonds, depending on what time uh, we, we have here before we celebrate our Lord's uh, Supper together. But four or five diamonds that are amazing and powerful things that I want to share with you that, that God has given for us. And the, the first one, actually, let me read. Let's read Nahum first. Let me walk you through it, and then we'll talk about the diamonds. So... Turn with me if you would, Nahum chapter 1, we'll look at verse 1, and it's on the screen if you don't have the Bible in front of you. The Bible says this, an oracle concerning Nineveh. Remember Jonah was a prophet, was sent to Nineveh? Well, this is two or three hundred years later, back to Nineveh again. The book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The guy's name was Nahum, and he was from the community of Elkosh, and he had received a vision, uh, words from God to speak to that great city. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the, uh, the first, many historians believe it was the first bona fide empire in the entire world. Nineveh was the capital. They preceded Babylon, preceded Greece, preceded Rome, powerful, influential uh, empire of that time. They were kind of Israel's big brother. They were the, the big, bad country that, that ruled the world of the day. And here is Nahum, little nobody, called of God to speak profound words uh, to Israel about Nineveh. And here's what the Bible says, what, what God showed to Nahum. The Bible says this, The Lord, the I am that I am, is a jealous and an avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and he keeps wrath for his enemies. Wow, so much for nice love, and you know, God is just nice and merciful and loving and kind and good and all of that. Wow, let's read on. The Lord, fourth time already, has told us who his name is. The focus is that, hey guys, here's the kind of God that I am. The I am that I am is slow to anger 
and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the very, just the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and he dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel were a lush area, and the Bible says it, they wither because of God. And the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains themselves quake before him, and the hills melt. God produces such heat that they just melt away as wax. And the earth heaves. Think about the earthquakes. The earth just heaves before him and the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Pursue his enemies into darkness. I want you to notice four or five incredible diamonds this morning that God wants us to know. There's some low-hanging fruit, we might say, just in these verses. We don't have to know a lot about Elkosh and don't have to know a whole lot about Nahum and we frankly don't have to know a whole lot about Nineveh and even Assyria to understand some things that I just read this morning. First diamond that I want us to realize is, is that God reveals himself when we need it and the way we need it if we are willing to listen. God by nature is a revealing God. He is he reveals himself to us. He, it is impossible for any of us to know God in and of ourselves. He's unattainable to us. We can't just sit back in our bedrooms and say, well, I'm going to figure out who God is. I'm going to make my way to God. I, I'm, I, I've got it all figured out. There's plenty of philosophers in the world and plenty of brilliant people, men and women, who think they've got God all figured out. But the pragmatic reality is, is God is completely unknowable if he did not take the steps to reveal himself to us. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible written about the revelation of God. The revelation of the last book of the Bible of Jesus Christ is not the revelation of the things that are going to happen in the end. It's the revealing of Jesus. Jesus being unveiled as Lord of this world. It's God putting forward truth and revealing who he is to us personally. Now, here's what's so interesting is that Israel was at a time that they were at risk. They didn't understand this very nature of God. They were missing these aspects of God. And God said, hey, let me reveal to you who I am. They needed to understand that God is an avenging God, that God is a jealous God, that God by no means will clear the guilty. They didn't get it. They weren't understanding that. He wasn't telling them something that they already knew. He was telling them something that they were forgetting or had already forgotten or at least at risk of forgetting. You remember the story when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He sees his bush afar off on fire and he says to himself, that's not, that fire's not dying out. It's not going away. I'm going to go see what that's all about. And he goes to that bush and God speaks to him out of that and says, Moses, 
Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground, son. You see, we don't, by nature, we can be in the very presence of God and not get it. And God has to make himself known to us. When Moses then later on was doing the Ten Commandments, he broke the first set because the, his, the Jews that he was supposed to uh, reveal God's care, law to them, his, his kind of character on law, they were breaking the very laws and glory of God in that moment. He got mad and broke them. So he had to go back up the mountain and hammer and chisel and make the next one himself because he got mad. And listen what the Bible says that God reveals himself to Moses as he wrote the next ones. In verse 6 of Exodus 34, the Bible says this, The Lord passed before him. The Lord went before Moses, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. You get this picture that God cares about his name, the I am that I am, the all-sufficient, the awesome, eternal one. He says, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious. I like that. Slow to anger. I like that. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I like that. Keeping steadfast love to thousands. Think of all of the salvation and grace and mercy that we love to think about with God. That's what that's talking about. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I like that. I'm a person that has sin and broken God's laws and iniquity and ungodliness in my heart. And I'm glad that God by nature forgives that. Look at the next one. We, we like to talk about all of that. But look at the second half. There's a but in here. But, big but. Circle it and highlight it. Who will by no means clear the guilty? If you're not guilty, it's all good. But if you're guilty, you've got problems. In fact, he's the kind of God who will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God by nature is a revealing God. You and I, as we live our life, God reveals himself to us through his word. He ultimately has done it, not just through the Bible, not through burning bushes. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he has done it ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. He has spoken to us in these last days. God wants to reveal himself to you and to me directly into our life profoundly by the person of his son, Jesus. And he sent him to this earth to show us what our life should have been, perfect without sin, just and holy, but one of compassion. But then Jesus did more than that. As the God-man, he took upon himself our sins and he bore all of our sins and our iniquity and he paid for them on the cross so that you and I could have our sin debt paid for, canceled, just like canceling a, a, a bill done, removed, and that you and I could have the presence of God genuinely in our life. We serve a revealing God, and that God reveals himself to us through his son. But here's the cool thing, is that you and I, none of us know God fully today as we should. None of us know God to the depth that we should. None of us have experienced all of the grace of God that we truly need. None of us have walked with God on all the journeys that he still yet wants to take us through. That means God is still revealing himself to you profoundly through the affairs of life, just as he was 
to the people of Israel. They were missing it. See, here's the deal. Nineveh was controlling them. Nineveh was a bully. They, as a country, they were known for brutality. They're, they were the, the first ones before Greece, before Rome, that kind of figured out how to rule over a, a land as an empire. They were the first ones to kind of modernize warfare. They were the first to fight with iron weapons, and they had a brutality about them. And they were controlling and dominating Israel to the point that Israel's like, where is our God? In fact, Nineveh believed that it was their gods that were superior, that, that gave them such power, that they had their god of Ishtar and Nabu and all of the others, the host of the pantheon, had given them their special power. And Israel was thinking, well, God must reward evil. God doesn't care about us. And God has forgotten us. No, God actually was about to deal with Nineveh. It's tough for us to realize this, but in essence, Jonah, or not Jonah, uh, Nahum is about to prophesy against the downfall of Nineveh. It would be like somebody prophesying Washington being wiped off the map. And yet, just within a couple of hundred years after this, Nineveh is gone to where, in fact, it was misplaced for over 2,000 years. Nobody knew where it was to the mid-1800s. In fact, Bible skeptics in the 1800s said, Here, here's this thing. The Bible is so full of fakes and everything. Like, like, for example, Nineveh. This was such a big city, we don't even know where it was. Until one day they were digging around in the dirt and found under this mound, oh, what do you know? There it is. I guess the Bible was right all along. What do you know? forgot it because we'll see in a minute that God says you are vile and I'm removing your remembrance gone never to come back again first huge diamond I don't know what's going on in your life right now I don't know what things are pressing in on you what questions are spinning in your head and your heart but I know this if you're willing to listen God is a God who is a revealing God who will reveal himself to you powerfully, profoundly, with truth, not just abstractly, but directly into your soul with the truth of his word, if you're willing to truly listen. Huge diamond for us. Second diamond. God is not just a God who reveals himself, but when he does reveal himself to us, he reveals himself to us as a just God. He is a just God. Now, he didn't use the word just in all of this, we hear that he's a jealous God. Jealousy to you and me is usually a sin. Jealousy to you and me means you've got something that I want, or you are somebody that I want, or you've got an opportunity that I want. And we, by nature as people, get jealous. Jealous of all kinds of things. We get jealous of people's positions, jealous of their money, jealous of what they have get jealous of their girlfriends, jealous of their bodies, jealous of their families, jealous of all kinds of stuff. That's, all of that is sinful. God's jealousy is different. When the Bible says God is a jealous God, it means that he cares a whole lot about what belongs to him. He cares a lot about it. Do you care about the things that belong to you? Yeah. I would not say that I am a jealous husband uh, at all in a negative way. My wife's probably a better one to ask. I'm looking for her. She's in the back, apparently, with the kids, so she's not here. So you'll have to ask her. But I can tell you very much, I don't 
feel at all like sharing my life with anybody else. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of like, hey, I'm it, babe. You know, I'm not sharing. Like, you, you, I'm sorry. You're mine. You're stuck with me. That's the kind of God that God is jealous. God is a jealous for what God for what belongs to him. You see, the Jews were thinking that God didn't love them anymore. And God was saying, oh, no, you belong to me, and I care about you. I am a jealous God, and I'm an avenging God. We think of avenging as, as when we seek revenge, it's always bad. When we seek revenge, it's, we're doing it out of we've been hurt, and we're going to get that guy for what he did to me. And our revenge always goes over, right? If somebody hits you this hard, you're going to go this hard. You know, you're going you're gonna to raise it up. And you're doing it to protect yourself. And you're doing it for yourself. God doesn't ever do that. God is an avenging God. He doesn't get revenge. He avenges. And he always avenges for what is right and what is wrong. Look what the Bible says. He says in verse 3, here's the secret, not secret, but this is the key. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God only gets a, a vengeance on the guilty. No more, no less than what they deserve. You see, that's because God is a just God. God is a God that draws a line in the sand and says, this is evil, this is not. This is bad, this is good. What you've done is good, what you've done is bad. He is a, an avenging God, and he always punishes, always gives just due reward, punishment to the bad. Always. He is an avenging kind of God. You see, if God didn't punish evil in this world, he would not be a good God. In fact, I read just a minute ago in verse 7 that the Lord is good. His vengeance is comes out of the very fact that he by nature is good and he's holy. And because of it, he holds everyone accountable to the evil in their life. 100% of the time, these verses that we're reading are all about the character of God. See, Israel had forgotten who God was. They didn't understand who he was. And then out of this, in just a minute, we have time. We'll look at verse 13 and 14. He tells them, this is what I'm going to do to Nineveh because this is my character. I'm going to punish them, but because it is, I'm a jealous and avenging and a good God. And in verse 15, he says, and because I'm going to deliver you Israel, here's the incredible thing it's going to do in your life. And hopefully we can get to that point this morning. But God is a God who is a just God, who's holy. He divides and puts a line in the sand at all times, looking at everything in this world, deciding between the good and the bad. He's in a and a, an avenging kind of God. And you see, too often we think of God in all the other terms. Well, God is just loving, and he's just a nice guy. And we somehow kind of have him like Mr. Rogers and Mary Poppins and the Tooth Fairy or the Fairy Godmother and Santa Claus all wrapped into one, and your grandmother. Throw a good grandmother in there, right? You know, making good cookies and just do whatever you want, kiss you on the forehead, and even when you've been a jerk, just kind of still likes you anyway. That's not the picture of who God is when we look at the Bible. God is, God is a loving, forgiving God, but he only forgives us because he gave his son Jesus to pay for the junk that we've done. It's the only reason he can forgive us anyway. He is an avenging God, a just God, and we so often forget that. Now, there's a powerful implication here for you and me. 
If God is an avenging God, then you don't have to be. How many of you have ever had something bad done to you in life? I mean, maybe pretty significantly, pretty stinky. I don't mean your wife giving you a black eye with a canoe paddle like I got a couple weeks ago, you know, which was by accident. By the way, just good news, in case you're wondering, we went canoeing yesterday and without incident whatsoever. You know, I came back, I was thinking about taking additional insurance policy, but I think I'm gonna not worry about that anymore. But we've all had some bad things, right? All of us. Because God is an avenging God, you and I don't have to be a person of revenge. We don't have to be a person of bitterness, of anger. We don't have to be a person that has to harbor all of that. We don't have to have a, be a person who goes back and lashes for that. Well, Sean, that's easy to say. Yeah, I know it is. I get upset too when things have happened, and I tend to lash out of protection. God has promised us. Those of you that have been abused in your past, God holds your abuser 100% accountable, and he will punish. He's an avenging God. Nothing goes undone. You see, what God is trying to tell Israel is that when you and I begin to despair in life, and we begin to say, why is so-and-so getting away with this and that, and how is that possible? And I'm just trying to keep my nose clean, and man, my life's a mess and all of this. And we begin thinking the same thing, that somehow God is just... You know, this kind of arbitrary, you know, not fair kind of God in heaven. And God is telling us this morning, no, I see everything. I am slow to anger. I actually, God, this tells us that God stores up his anger. He has an anger reservoir. It says he, in verse 2, it says he keeps wrath for his enemies that God will absolutely, 100% of all the wrongs that are done in this world, there will be a retribution for them. Either that individual will pay for them, or if they turn to Jesus and trust Him, God will allow Jesus to pay it for them. But either way, the wrongs that have been done to you will be paid for. You and I don't have to be that person to try to make things right. Does that solve everything? No. Does that make the pain and hurt and whatever you've got going on in life go away immediately? No. But it can help you start down that road. It can help you start taking some steps toward forgiveness. It means that whatever the reactions that come out of your life, whether insecurity or whether anger, whether depression, or all the other things that can come, it means that it can start you down the road to recovery knowing that God is dealing with that. Even if you couldn't, even if the authorities couldn't, even if nobody else knew and didn't know what to do about it, God is a God who sees and He punishes. And God is letting the people of Israel know that, hey, I know this big bully has been abusing you. That bully's time is short and I'm going to remove them, and I'm going to heal, and I'm going to restore you. Third diamond that I want you to recognize this morning, not just does God reveal himself to us the way we need it, when we need it, if we're willing to listen, he's also a just God, an avenging, a jealous God who protects and guards his own. He's, uh, thirdly, he's an awesome God. He's a powerful, 
blow your mind, amazing God. Look at the end of verse 3. The Bible says, His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. Think about walking through your house. If you've got hardwood floors or if you've got bare floors and you haven't vacuumed or swept in a while, little, you know, little poofs of dust. Have you ever looked underneath furniture? You know, we've got three cats and a dog, lots of people. And do you know what it looks like underneath our, you know, buffet and our dining room? I look under there. I think I've got another cat growing underneath there. I mean, it's just like, and what's going on? And you don't see it, but we walk around and you walk and you create little whirlwinds, you know, on the floor and it just moves all of that stuff around. Here's what God's trying to tell us. Guys, that I am so awesome and powerful. When you look outside and you see the big thunder clouds and the big clouds blowing, that's just like the little dust of my feet. I'm not just rattling around in the state of New York or on this earth. I'm just walking across the whole universe. And what you see is something as incredible and awesome. It's just little wisps of just an after effect of me just walking across the floor. My dog is a, is a fun dog, Tavi, and there's a couple of things in this life that stresses him out. One is when the cats are just wound up and he knows they're out to get them, and they pretty much are. That gets him going. And the, and the other thing is, is when he hears thunder off at a distance. When he hears a storm coming, he becomes unglued. He doesn't hide under the bed. He goes off in a corner and starts digging. He just gets stressed and he digs and he just doesn't like it and just digs and it bothers him. Well. What God is telling us here, guys, is he's trying to help you and I to kind of blow the little box that we've put around God and saying, look, I am awesome and powerful. I am wandering around in this universe and I'm so beyond your comprehension. Just like a storm might be to my dog. I can go all day long and say, look, chill, it's just noise, you know. He doesn't get it. And God is trying to help us to know we don't get it either, that his way is in the tornadoes and the hurricanes. That that's just him walking around, just... Him breathing just blows our absolute mind that God is an awesome, powerful God. The world heaves before Him, the very earth in His presence. God, if He were to walk into this room, the very hills would shake, the very pillars would be undone around us. He's trying to tell us that we walk around with too small of a picture of God in our life that almost God is just incapable of taking care of us and somehow detached and not involved in our world or the world affairs. And, and Nahum is saying, guys, you just don't understand it. You don't get it. Our God is an awesome, powerful God. Nobody can stand before Him. In verse 6 he says, when He's angry, nobody can endure the heat of His anger. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation that when God begins to finally avenge all the wrongs done in this world, that people will be so scared to death that they will crawl into the caves crying out for the rocks to crush them just to hide them from the righteous, holy anger of Jesus Christ himself. You see, our God is an awesome, powerful God. He is not a weakling. He is not negligent in what he's doing in this world around us. The Jews were beginning to think so. Why is Nineveh so great and grand and seem to be enjoying the blessings of life? And we're not. They were missing all of it. You see, the book of Nahum is a book of hope for you and me. 
when it looks like all things that we should rely on and can rely on have let us down, whether it be our parents, whether it be our, our teachers, whether it be our best friends, our, our boss, our anyone, whether the legal system, the judicial system, whether the, the authorities have let us down, the whole world fall apart. God is still a just God who rules and he has the power and the ability to do something about it. You see, if a flea were just and good and avenging, it might be annoying, but not much more than that. Because a flea is not powerful. But when you're God and you have the power and the presence and the authority that we're talking about, and you are a holy and a just God, you better look out and you better watch out. God is a, a God who's avenging, who's a, a powerful God, but who's an awesome God. And the fourth thing I want us to know, the, really the next two comes out of that, and I'm going to hit them quickly for our teacher's sake out back especially. Your kids are great, but after a while, teachers want to be freed from them, okay? <laughs> they, they tell me that. Sean, can you just, they really don't. You guys are honestly great. Nobody's ever complained about our service, but I know it's a challenge. I want to be careful with that, but... Let me give you a couple of big implications. If these things are true, and they are, the, the, the fourth thing is that God protects his children. God protects us. He protects us. Now, sometimes we don't understand that protection. Well, why did God let this happen? God, why did you let that happen? I can't pretend to answer all of that. I can't tell you that the Jews were experiencing tremendous oppression right now. Part of it was God was using Nineveh and the Assyrians because they turned their back on God. And God told them that he was going to deport them and bring in an enemy. He was using them to humble them so that they would see that they've messed up. Sometimes God does allow hardship in our life that's painful in the moment, but that ultimately he, he allows to do something much greater in our life. Simple little, little example. I think I've told this before, but many of you haven't heard it. When I was a freshman in high school, my parents, I don't think, have heard of this story, actually. I was a freshman in high school, so this is a little bit of true disclosure, I guess, for them. But um, your, you, you told your parents stuff after you were an adult that your parents are like, what in the world? Oh, my goodness, right? Now they're wondering, what in the world is he going to say about you know, what he did? So I was a freshman in high school, and there was a kid in my Spanish class. Vinny Testanero was his name. He was one of those guys. He was a junior, much bigger. I was probably 13, 14, all of 110 pounds, dripping wet. And he teased me incessantly, carrots, red, you know, all of that. And, uh, and one day, and it drove me crazy. And one day he got behind me at the locker and just got, I mean, right there behind me. So I did what anyone would do. I turned around and hit him. I, Mom and Dad, you can go home and you can straighten out whatever bad theology or bad parenting or bad practice. I'll let you do it. But I had had enough. I came and glued and I hit him. And he turned around and he hit me. He, he hit me in the floor. It wasn't really a big fight, but that was kind of it. Next day, we come into class. This is crazy. He sat on the other end of the class from me. We were the first two in there. And the teacher from the previous period was there, an Italian teacher, uh, not, not for our class. And he walks in with a cast on his hand, his right hand. Teacher said, what'd you do? He said, oh, I got in a fight. And he said, I remember some jerk or whatever. I broke my hand and now I can't play baseball or whatever. I learned two things that day. 
One, you got to stand up to bullies somewhere along the line, or they're going to keep bullying you. He never bothered me after that, so it was well worth the incident. But two, God protected me and got the jerk off my back. God protects his children. Well, Sean, I've had bullies in my life, and I've had some horrible things to do. It doesn't seem like God protected me. Yeah, I'm not saying that God doesn't allow you to go through things. I went through all of that junk, but I wouldn't trade it now because I experienced the protection of God in a practical way, in a very real way. God takes care of his children. He takes care of us. And you and I need to rest in that. You and I need to trust that. You and I need to allow for God to do that into our life. God, I I wish you would go home and read this, but in verse 13, he says, I'm going to break his yoke, talking about Assyria, from off of you, and I'm going to burst your bonds apart. You're no longer going to be shackled to them. And he turns and he talks to Nineveh in verse 14. The Lord's given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and metal image. I will make your grave for, here's why, for because you are vile. God turns to Nineveh. You are vile. You are a disgrace. You're done. You are absolutely dead. And they deserved every bit of it. By the way, the Old Testament, one of the nagging things that people talk about the Old Testament is God's an angry God and he's vengeance and people are dying and kids and what kind of God allows that? You need to understand God's a just God. If you understand that apart from the justice, yeah, it makes no sense. But if you understand the wickedness, God never too much punishes people, never goes overboard like you and I do. He always gives just desserts. We're just not ready for what those things look like. And God protected him, protected them. See, some of you guys, we know God protects us on the outside, but God protects us on the inside. Some of the stuff I mentioned earlier, insecurities and angers and depressions and other things are things that have come and taken hold and put us in bondage just like Israel. Oftentimes because of lies that we believed of the enemy, often because of idols that we've accepted on our heart. And part of the life change that God brings that we so often talk about is when Jesus comes into your life, that he comes and he breaks the shackles. He breaks the shackles of our sin, but he breaks the shackles of the results of that, the fears and all the things that, that, that we have struggled with that, that, out, that have come out of our sin because we have tried to pursue things that are not honoring to him, and they've been dead ends, and we've gotten depressed over it and all kinds of other things in our life. And God begins to break those things because he's a protecting kind of God. And as he does that, we experience what he's telling Israel they're going to experience shortly. And that is incredible good news. Salvation, in verse 15, he says, he says, look, behold, Upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. If you know the Bible and have been a Christian long enough, you may recognize that from the book of Isaiah or the book of Romans, where Paul talks about the wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus that is good news to our soul, that brings salvation and deliverance to our sin and the effects of sin. And all of the things that we struggle with in our life, that God begins to bring a solution and brings peace. Not When the Bible talks about peace, it's not just an absence of fighting. It's it's more than that. It's blessing. It's 
It's a, a reunion. So all of that that God brings into our life. And he says, look, Israel, he says, keep your feasts. O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He's utterly cut off. You are not going to have to worry about that any longer. You keep the promises to know me and worship me and to follow me. Keep those festivals and those celebrations that come out of relationship with me. What we know today in the New Testament, he's telling us, he's like, enjoy the life that you have with Jesus, that when you trust him, that he saves you, that all of that judgment that would be coming you is gone. And enjoy the fact that he's removing the oppressor out of your life, not just the sins out of your life, but all the oppression and the th other issues that, that have, have come in and haunted us. He says, I will begin peeling that back in essence. God's a tough God, guys. Am I saying that as soon as we trust Jesus that all your problems go away? I'm not saying that. You guys know that. You've heard me enough weeks to know that. But I'm saying this, that when you trust Jesus, that your world changes, your life changes, and many of the lies that you've believed, God begins to peel away. And he begins to peel the idols out of our heart. And we don't realize it, but those are the things that undermine us in our thinking and our feelings and our heart. And he changes us. And we have a God that we can trust, who's a good God. In fact, who tells us that he's a refuge. I skipped that verse, but in verse 7, that he's a stronghold to us in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him that we take refuge in Him for our salvation in every way He takes care of us. So guys, this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's a lot of things that you can be thinking about. You know, one, have you really trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Have you really surrendered to Him, admitted your sin and your wrongs before Him? Because the thing is, God's nature is just and holy. This isn't just about some other person at some other time, this is about you. Either you stand accountable for all that you've done or you consciously accept the accountability that Jesus took in your place for all the wrong that you've done. But either way, there's going to be accountability. You either recognize that Jesus is accountable and died for you and you surrender to that and accept that forgiveness or you're on your own. And you're on your own with not a flea but the God of this universe, who when we are truly in his presence, none of us could even stand before. Maybe you've trusted Jesus before. Maybe God has saved you. But you've, you've kind of get this nagging feeling that maybe there's an area in your life that God kind of wants to deliver you from. An oppressor. Some faulty thinking or lies or other things in your life. Maybe your prayer this morning should simply be, God... Would you give me victory and freedom in that area? God, I've been insecure because of some of the abuse I've had in the past. God, I've been afraid. God, I've, I've got anxiety because of this. God, I've got that. Would you take a step and say, God, I've never really thought fully about you actually bringing a solution to that. You see, it's easy when you've battled that with all of your life to think, well, that's just the way life is going to be for me. And you may have challenges like that the rest of your life. I'm not going to pretend to be a, a therapist or anything this morning. 
But I will challenge you to say you can get more victory there than you probably think. And God can free you more than you probably realize through time. Maybe you've experienced some of that already. Maybe this morning you just need to say, God, thank you for doing that. Thank you that I am living that victory in, in verse 15. But whatever God is speaking into your heart this morning as our worship team comes up and they're getting ready to lead us into this time of, of worship and celebration of our Lord's table and ushers, I'm going to be calling you in just a second. I want you to think about what God wants to speak in your heart. Remember, we started this whole thing this morning. God knows how to reveal himself to you the way you need, when you need it, if you're willing to listen. So maybe some of you just this morning need to listen and say, God, what are you trying to tell me? That might be your prayer, but whatever you kind of feel like God is speaking in your heart this morning, I'm going to ask that you would just close your eyes and, and bow your head, or, or you can sing, I guess, if you want to as well. But would you respond to him? And uh, for those of you that are God's children that have already received Jesus as Lord, you've already surrendered to him, this is also time for you to simply uh, prepare your heart to celebrate that no punishment is coming to you because this table represents, it's a picture of what Jesus already did, that he died to pay for all of your junk that you don't have to. So pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he died. Thank you that he rose again. Thank you for the salvation that's ours. Thank you, God, for being a just and a holy God. And thank you. You did not have to, but you poured out that wrath upon your only son so that you could look toward us in kindness and mercy and forgiveness and grace. Father, at the very least, every one of us ought to say thank you for that. Thank you this morning as we celebrate your table and the memory of what Jesus our Lord did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.